This is Dylan. This is Nick. And you're listening to Hello and welcome to Colloquium. We're here doing another first for Colloquium. It's just been a, a month or two of firsts. This is our first virtual podcast. So I'm here at our, our usual studio and and Nick's at home. Nick's at home. He's uh, been a little under the, the weather. Actually, he's had, Nick, you've had COVID. Um, you're recovering. I think you're done with your, your quarantine technically, right? But we're just playing yeah. it safe at this point. Yeah, I am. I'm, I'm out and about as of today, actually. So, um, yeah, I'm out of prison. I'm here in my, uh, my COVID layer, as I've taken to calling it. Um, me and my apartment have gotten very familiar over these past uh, <laughs> 10 days, as I'm sure some of our listeners can relate to. So, um, anyway. Yeah, so what's that been like? I don't know. I've never had to do, I think, a full 14-day quarantine. Um, I've definitely had to isolate at certain times um, when there's possible exposure. But what's that been like for you being cooped up for a full two weeks? Yeah, so I, I actually have been in my apartment for uh, 11 days, I guess, almost 11 okay. days. I just did that. They reduced it to 10 days of uh, the quarantine, I think. Um, I think, I hope. <laughs> no, but I reduced it, <laughs> it reduced it to 10 days. So I, I just had the, the measly 10-day quarantine, but Listen, um, I'm not, I'm just not a big fan. Um, I had to say, <laughs> I, I, I literally uh, did not leave my apartment except for like standing on my balcony a couple of times for a couple of minutes. Um, and I opened the door a couple of times when uh, some generous friends of mine brought me a meal or a care package. Yeah. Um, but other than that, I did not leave my apartment, which was a, uh, um, I wouldn't use the word exhilarating uh, to call that <laughs> for the experience, but, uh, Did you get uh, some reading done or anything? Oh my. Yeah. I tell you what, me and Sherlock Holmes, we are buddies. All right. <laughs> yeah. So my brother got me, um, it's good timing. Cause my brother Ben got me the, the complete set of Sherlock Holmes for Christmas. Um, yeah, I just took to reading those stories over the you know quarantine period. And, uh, yeah, that was kind of a, a big consolation for me spending a lot of time reading that and, reading the scriptures and um, honestly playing too much, way too much on my phone and watching way too much TV that got like really sickening by the end of the sure. 10 days. So um, yeah, that was definitely a struggle. I had to say. Sure. I'm, um, I'm a little bit surprised that even with all that time you had on your hands, you still didn't update your fantasy basketball lineups. Yeah. You know, um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I think um, Madison you know, pulled off a victory against you. This hang past on. Week. See, I don't even know. Is that bad? I, so, um, anyway, I had to tell our listeners, um, there's this famous player called, uh, John Morant. He plays for Memphis. Um, he's one of my favorite players. So my team is called more ant two words. It's a pun. Anyway. Yeah, um, you think you're clever. So, get it. Yeah. So he got injured and I took to calling our team, uh, less ant, <laughs> um, which I thought, I thought that was clever. So um, almost anyway, as clever as more ant. <laughs> yeah, but no, I did not. I did not update the lineup very well. Uh, anyway, yeah. So, um, yeah. quarantine was fun. Good. Well, I'm glad that you made the most of it. I think reading would be my consolation in the midst of of that as well. Um, yeah. And I'm sure. Yeah, I think it it drives you crazy to to be stuck inside for that long. And I think that's been a lot of people's experience uh, over the last almost year now. We've been dealing with this. There's just been a lot of that that isolation and our topic today i think that that's going to play right into um maybe not immediately obvious but i think that um i think it'll make sense when we start talking about it so our topic is the parish in the eucharist and the reason we chose this theme um we actually didn't choose it our our bishop the bishop reka of the diocese of birmingham has has made that the theme the the what do you call it? The theme of the liturgical year? Yeah, just the, uh, I guess the, yeah, the theme. That's a good word. Okay, yeah. Good There's probably a better word for it, a more technical word, but right. anyway, it's the year, this liturgical year in the Diocese of Birmingham is the year of the parish and the Eucharist. And I think that's intentional. Uh, I think it has something to do with, I think both of those two things uh, are really important, especially in a year where we're combating isolation uh, due to the pandemic that we're in. 
Right. Yeah, I um I think this is very wisely picked by our bishop. So I'm excited to get into the uh the ins and outs of this. Um I think he paired those two things together, of course, because really we could we could bracket the Eucharist underneath parish almost. Um, but I think it's so important and unique that I think it's kind of worth um putting as its own word for uh to kind of draw its importance to attention uh throughout this year. So. Right. Yeah, so let's maybe start there about and talk about why these two are connected. Because I think at first thought it's it's like, okay, well, I've heard of, you know, things like the year of the parish or or the year of the Eucharist, but why the parish and the Eucharist? Why do you think it was uh Bishop Rake had decided to lump those two together? Yeah, that's a great point. I, I did allude to my my view of why there uh, a couple of seconds ago, but I, I think the the parish is um centers around the Eucharist. Um, so kind of the Eucharist is implied when we, when we talk about a parish. Um, but again, just to, to draw to light the central focus of, of what a parish is and what a parish and really who a parish is for. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think ultimately the Eucharist is, is Jesus Christ, right? And the parish should be centered around that. I think one thing that also came to mind for me in thinking about why, uh, why is this the focus? Is I've actually been been praying and, and thinking a lot about um, theology of the body lately, actually, and just the connection in that, and really in our faith in general, there is between the Eucharist and um, ultimately marriage, um, and just thinking about how the Eucharist, the, the Mass, ultimately is the consummation of the marriage between Christ and his church, and so when we think of the parish and the Eucharist, right, the parish is a community where people come together to celebrate the Mass. It's where the church, the bride, meets the bridegroom, uh, Christ. So ultimately, I think the parish and the Eucharist have to be tied together because Christ and the church have to be tied together. Where Christ is, there is the church. Where the church is, there is Christ. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, I think, too, also just in a mystical sense, we are the body of Christ. You know, so we're by when we consume the Eucharist, we you know in a sense become the Eucharist. We become we become Christ as a member of His body. So, um, you know, in a sense, our you know, parish community, uh, me and you and whoever's in our parishes, um, are the Eucharist, are Christ, as um, you know, really in a in a mystical, true sense as we go out into our communities. So, uh, yeah, they're definitely intimately tied. Yeah, I th I think absolutely intimately. I think is a key word, and I think that's a theme that that I plan on tracing this conversation at least because I think I think intimacy is is something that we crave in a pandemic and I think something that both the parish and the Eucharist uh, provide and I think we'll we'll touch on that I think in more detail later um, but I also want to talk about so we we talked about why those two are connected but why this year um, why 2021 why is this the year of the parish and the Eucharist yeah, I think smartly picked by our bishop just for, for the obvious sense in which, you know, um, I would venture to say most Catholics are staying away from the parish community um, because of in, COVID in concerns. The Eucharist. And, right. Yeah, fair, exactly yeah. right. Yeah. Staying away from the Eucharist by virtue of that, you know, um, because of COVID concerns or fears and, um, you know, the whole deal of um, I can you know, witness mass or kind of quote unquote, experience the Eucharist online. So what do I need to go? Um, what do I need to get up off my couch kind of a thing? So um, yeah, in, in, in short, people are staying away more so than ever. Um, so yeah, yeah, I think so. And I think it comes back to that intimacy as well, right? So with this isolation, we lack this, this intimacy that human relationships provide for us, but ultimately that we find its fulfillment in God. And we, I think we really have that, that longing increases when there's that separation from both the parish and the Eucharist. So I think the year of 2021 is a good year to refocus us on those two things, because those two things are going to draw us into real community. And um, I think real community, that's something that we've, we've really been, been lacking in uh, as, a, as a church, as a world in the last 12 months or so. So I think it is very timely. Absolutely. Um, and ultimately I think what we want to do is we want to dive deeper into what are, you know, what are these two things and how can we, how can we celebrate the year of the parish and the Eucharist? Um, 
but think about, yeah, what that might look like. So I think how, how we should start out is talking about the parish. Um, so when you think about a parish, um, the first thing actually um, I have here on parish is I think that it's important to go into a little bit the, or I, I think it's interesting at least, the, the etymology, not endemology, but etymology. There's different mology that starts with E words and I get them mixed up, but I think it's etymology. It means like where a word comes from. Something similar to that is like bug, the study of bugs. I think it's entomology, study of bugs. Yeah, I don't know. I always get all those fancy word confused. Confused. You're the theologian, so I'll let you do the the Greek here. I uh, I met and this is so tangential, but I met an an entomo. I know an entomologist, entomologist, whatever the one that studies bugs. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, it's not. So I think you got it right. Entomologist is not what you is not the bug. So okay, whatever. great. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Anyway, um, so anyway, the word parish ultimately has roots in the Greek word parochia. And so the, this is just basically like a a quick Google search brings up the words, but um, so one of the kind of definitions was given was sojourning in a foreign land, um, dwelling beside a stranger or a sojourner. So we have this idea of like a pilgrimage. Um, and then it was also related, I didn't put this on the sheet, but it was also related to, I saw one that it was related to the word uh, subsidiarity, actually. Um, and so it's this, this kind of local, so like a parish is like a local community, essentially. And then the other Greek word it was related to is, is oikos, um, which means house, literally. So essentially, it's like a gathering place of local community is the best I can gather from, from those roots there. Um, which I think is maybe a good way of understanding it, right? A parish is a, is a local community that gathers ultimately to celebrate the Eucharist. But um, I thought that was a little bit interesting to think about the root there. Yeah, I am. Um, that's actually really, I'm, I'm really interested by the sojourning in a foreign land kind of definition of uh, the Greek word there. I won't embarrass myself by pronouncing it, but um, yeah, just it's a, um, and combining those two words, it's a, you know, a house, a dwelling place for, sojourners for strangers in a foreign land um which is really beautiful because you know that's kind of what we are right we're we're a community the body of christ gathering together in our sort of temporary home while we venture to heaven um yeah it's really a beautiful etymology of the word yeah yeah i think so too and and while we're talking about the word parish i remember when i first visited louisiana if anybody's been to louisiana they call their counties parishes uh, but this really threw me off. I think it's, I imagine it's probably related to the French Catholic influence because it's also comes, I think there's some French influence in the word, but I got there and they're like, oh, like such and such parish over there or such and such parish. I'm like, what are like, are we just referring to like <laughs> geography in terms of Catholic churches? But no, it turns out that that's just what they call counties. The county is a right. parish. Huh. Um, but I think it comes from that same, ultimately the same idea of like a parish is a local um, community of people. Right. So I think also what we want to talk about is ultimately what is, what makes a good parish? Or I think even better, I think a conversation we've had before is what makes an ideal parish. Like if you're deciding on a parish to register at, what, what are the things you look for? Yeah. I think a different way to frame the question too. Um, it's the same question, but a different way to frame it is what makes a parish that people want to go back to? Um, you know, for all, all of these people that are staying away, um, yeah, what makes a parish inviting in the sense that they want to venture back? Um, yeah, I like that. I like that yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think one of the, the first thing that we have down here, they're not necessarily in order of importance, but first thing we have down here is a, a beautiful liturgy. Um, we want the mass to be a, a beautiful experience, um, which well, we can break that down a little more. You want the first go at it? Yeah, sure. I mean, I think that I think this is essential. It's definitely something that I think of that goes on my list of, you know, if I'm, if I'm picking a parish, right. The, I want something, I want a liturgy that where I encounter beauty. Now, you know, we could do a whole nother podcast and, and we probably will at some point on actually the liturgy and talk about what, what belongs in a liturgy. Um, but I think ultimately what this means is it's, it's somewhere where you go and, and the liturgy, the music, 
the, the reverence, the way the priest offers the mass, right? It, it leads you to God. Um, and it is an encounter in some way with beauty, right? So the mass, ultimately, Jesus Christ is present in the mass. And no matter what, in a valid mass, you know, the priest, the body, the, when the priest says, this is my body, this is my blood, right? The bread and wine become the body and blood of Christ. And Christ is present in that mass. Now, we can have daily masses where you just kind of go through the motions and you can, or hopefully you don't just go through the motions, but where there's not as much music and there's not as much, um, you know, there's not all the instruments and all the um, kind of added things we, we bring into the liturgy. But I think that these things that, that don't affect the validity of it, right, but they affect our experience of it. So I think there are things, whether it's the way the priest celebrates the Mass or the way in which the music is done, I think that draw us into, via, I think, the way of beauty, draw us into the truth and the reality of the Mass. And I think having that be beautiful, I think, is really important. Right. Yeah, there's a lot there. Um, I, one of the things that comes to mind, too, is, um, or a question that I, I would ask, if whether or not the liturgy is beautiful, is does it engage the senses in a way that, um, raises the, you know, the mind and heart to Christ. Um, kind of what I mean is things like, um, is the music beautiful? Does it does it lead to contemplation of Christ? That's an obvious one. Um, is the uh, the visual aspect of the mass? Are we seeing things that are beautiful and bringing our minds to Christ? Uh, like you know, we could talk a little bit later about um, the beautiful church and kind of what that means. But um, that's what I mean. You know, just a, a beautiful sanctuary um, helps with the liturgy. Um, also, uh, incense, you know, your, your sense of smell, too, is that, you know, that helps lift your heart, you know, mind and heart to Christ. So, yeah, are the senses being engaged um, in the liturgy in a way yeah. that leads to Christ? Um, that'd be a question I would ask. Yeah, I think, I think that those are great examples. And I think that ultimately, I think beauty in the liturgy, it's one of those things where, you know, we could debate what belongs, you know, what kind of music, and we, we could get into all the technicals, right? But I think it's also something that, like, when you see it, you know it. You know, I think of a few, like, in particular, a few beautiful liturgies that I've encountered um, that, yeah, just draw you in. Um, right. Whether that's, I've had some really ex experiences of, of the Latin Mass, um, where it just is really captivating, the beauty there. Um, but even just, I, I remember I used to love going to um, our cathedral of St. Paul here when I lived in, in Birmingham. And just the way, just like the, the jubilation, um, particularly just like on, when they did hymns, there's typically like traditional hymns played well with an organ. Um, they had an incredible choir, incredible scola. And I just remember like, I always loved the closing hymn um, because on the closing hymn, they would do, you know, a few verses. And then before the, the last uh, verse, there'd be kind of like the, I'm not, I'm not a musician, so forgive me, but like, I think it's like when you, you pull out all the stops, essentially, is where that like phrase comes from, but it's like a little organ solo, and then like it gets louder, and everybody like joins in for the final verse, and it just culminates in this like really loud, jubilant hymn of praise to God, and I just remember that always was something that really, um, yeah, was really moving, um, and it like you said, it captured my and captured my senses um, to the reality of what was going on in the mass, and I think that's the role that that beauty can play in the liturgy. Right, amen. Yeah, um, I, I think you mentioned too, just having like a jubilant community too that um, celebrates the mass well um, is also something that brings a ton to the liturgy. Just having a a community that's willing to engage in the mass um, right. excitably and passionately. Yeah, I remember going to a, um, a, a mass in Georgia once. I, I don't even remember the name of the parish, but I remember it struck me because it wasn't the most traditional looking parish it, or like the most traditional looking church. Um, it was not like, I wouldn't say it was like a beautiful church. Um, the liturgy, the, the liturgy was good. Um, it wasn't like the most beautiful liturgy I had ever seen, but I remember there was this profound thing where in the, the Gloria, at the beginning of mass at the name of Jesus Christ, everybody's head in the church bowed. And I just saw this like profound, like unified sign of reverence that was shown in that liturgy that was really profound. Um, just that little thing in and of itself. Um, 
I think of, you know, when you go to churches and you see people um, receiving communion on the knees or on, on the tongue, right? I think there's, um, again, aside from debates about, you know, how should you receive communion, et cetera, et cetera, right? Like, there's a beauty of that. Like, you know, when people are coming up, like, there's a, there's a reverence that I think, at least for me, it draws me deeper into the mystery. Yeah, another example, too. Those are great examples. Another example, too, that I think of is um, at the end of Mass when the whole parish kneels and prays after Mass is over and Thanksgiving. Yeah, um, That's yeah. always just a really beautiful experience that uh, kind of moves me and says that this, yeah. this parish is faithful and dynamic, you know? Yeah, I think so, absolutely. Um, and then another one, as you were saying that, I think of like the, the focus tradition of, of singing the Salve together right. after, um, after Mass. Everybody would... I think before we all kneeled and did our Thanksgiving, it was yeah, right. saying the Salve in unison, which is just, that was always a really, really incredible thing for me as well. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. Wow. Great. Wow. We, we um, totally uh, went after the beautiful liturgy. Yeah, Nick was, like, Nick was like, yeah, we're just going to brush over the liturgy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I think, I think another one that we, actually, I, uh, I'll question this. Well, no, no, no. I think this is an essential. Never mind. Um, but I think we'd both agree on that this one is, is kind of essential, uh, a holy pastor. Um, and I think with that, I'd probably say Orthodox, right? Um, a heretical pastor would, would right. probably make a bad parish. Yeah, I, I would mean, argue. Yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, I would argue that a, a holy pastor would in fact be Orthodox. You know, I, I, I don't think a, an right. Orthodox yeah, yeah, pastor yeah, yeah. would. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm, I think we're on the same page there. Yeah, I think so. Um, and I think of the phrase too, like, um, I always forget where that where this originates, um, but I think it's a phrase that's been around a while in the church. Um, but, like, essentially, if, like, the priest is good, the people will be bad. If the priest is holy, the people will be good. If the priest is a saint, the people might be holy, etc. Like essentially, the, as the priest mm. is, the people are like one level below that. Right. Um, so I think wow. maybe a fairly high standard for the priest because, um, yeah, ultimately they're the shepherd, they're the spiritual leader, and and if there's not a, a holiness and a striving there, um, I think the parish is going to be stuck and pretty stagnant. Yeah, that I mean that's a high standard, but if we think if we frame that in terms of a father and his family. Um, right. You know, we would say the same thing about about the father of a household. You know, he he needs to be the one that sets the the, the spiritual standard for his family. Um, and so that's what we would say about the priest as well. Yeah, um, that makes just a ton of sense to me. Yeah. So I think I think those those first two we mentioned I think are are more or less non negotiables if we're talking about a parish that's going to draw people in. Right. Beautiful liturgy, um, holy pasture. I think right. another one we added there, um, and this maybe could be debated a little more, but um, a beautiful actual building. Um, yeah. So the sanctuary um, is something that, yeah, I think is able to draw people in. Do you think that this is, this is something you'd, you'd mark as like an essential characteristic of a parish? Well, essential, that's, that's a hard word. Um, I think it's extremely important. I'll say that. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think you can have um, an incredibly faithful parish community in a building that's ugly. I do. Um, I think, I think yeah. that's possible. So I guess the answer to your question is no, it's not essential, but no. um, in terms of evangelization, I think it is just so important. Um, if you're going to invite someone into your par parish community to kind of experience the Catholic thing, you know, the mass, um, for them to go into a, a parish that, or a church that's just breathtaking when you walk in, I'm sure we've all had that experience where, I don't know if anyone's been to, um, you know, the shrine in DC or, um, you know, just to any church in a street corner in Rome, you know, <laughs> um, where you walk yeah. in and it's just absolutely stunning in there. And you, you, it demands that you be quiet. You know, it demands reverence. Um, it's like, oh shoot, I can't speak in here. I have to whisper and, I need to walk around slowly and be respectful and, you know, it, just, it really does. It just takes your breath away naturally by virtue of its beauty. Um, right. That is just an incredible gift um, and asset for evangelization and for, for encountering Christ. Yeah. And I think I'd almost lump this as like, this is like an aspect of, we could put beauty, we could put this with beautiful liturgy, right? I think this is one aspect of 
the beauty that we encounter when we go to a, a particular parish. Yeah, I think so. But at the same time, you know, you can have someone walk in and there not be mass going on, you know, just experience the beauty of sure. the church. Yeah. Um, so, I, and I think there's, there's value to that. Um, you know, all these famous cathedrals uh, around, around the world um, frequently have visitors just coming in to check it out without mass going on, you know, which is, I think, a beautiful thing. Um, right. Yeah. And the church has such an incredible tradition of, of beautiful art and beautiful uh, churches. You know, I think of, you know, behind your head right now, I can see on the Zoom call is, your, yeah. is the, uh, the Last Supper painting. Um, but things like that. And I haven't hung my new uh, Caravaggio yet, but we've got a Vatican flag. That's kind of pretty. But um, yeah. yeah, I think just, there's just these images, these, these statues, these things, just the architecture of a church can draw you in. And we have, we have such a rich tradition of that in the church. And um, yeah, unfortunately, maybe I think that's been lost a little bit in the modern age i think of that talk i don't i don't remember how to what the citation for it would be that that talk you sent me a little while back um about like art in the church you know what i'm talking yeah, about from, yeah from uh, her name is dr barbara nicolosi um yeah i encourage the listeners to kind of look up her her thought and ministry um she's actually um um a leader in the christian hollywood community um and she she does a lot of work on there are christians kind of, in hollywood yeah, seems like it. No, but she's, yeah, she's just an incredible, incredibly faithful person and, and within Hollywood, doing work in Hollywood, who kind of promotes beauty in that, in that sense. But anyway, she, she gave a great talk on um, promoting beauty in the church and in the culture. So, yeah, good. Um, yeah, I think another aspect is, or did you want to say anything else on the, the beautiful church aspect? No, I think it's great. Okay, great, great. Yeah, then I think the next aspect, and I, you put this one on here. I'm going to, I might challenge it a little bit, um, okay. but a dynamic or faithful community. Um, and I, I don't want to challenge the, that that's a good thing because it's obviously a good thing, right? Um, but part of me says that this can be built if the other things are in place. Um, so for me, if I'm looking for, a parish to go be a part of and evangelize at, right? I think that these, some of these other things are maybe more the things I'm looking for in a parish because, and maybe this is just me as, as, you know, um, somebody who's evangelically minded, uh, but I feel like I can work to build a more dynamic, faithful community. Um, and obviously would want to have friends there, um, have people that I know I can work with in that parish to, to build that. Um, but that's kind of my instinct on that is, is that if the other things are in place, I think you can, can work with it. Okay. Yeah. So your, um, your thought is that what you mean by it can be built anywhere is that you mean it can, um, it can be built in any parish is what you mean, right? You, you think it's not an essential, essential bullet point for a, a parish specifically. Yeah, I should say actually, it's probably actually easier to build at certain parishes. So I I don't mean it should be built can be built at any parish, but I think that maybe this isn't. If I go to a parish and it has the other things and the community is kind of lacking, um, I think it could still be a good parish, right? Because it could still just be in the the early stages of forming that. Yeah, that's a good point. You think um, so? Your um, your thought is that uh, some of the other bullet points that we discussed kind of eventually will imply dynamic or faithful community. They will, they yeah, will lead to I think it. They'll lead to it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. I'd be willing to side with that. I think, um, yeah, I, I just know personally that um, I, when I'm deciding on a parish, I want to immediately see that community. You know, <laughs> I want to look around and I want to see people my age that are, you know, um, showing reverence in the mass. And um, I want to see people that it looks like I could, kind of relate to um so which may not be a fair a fair way to um, um kind of evaluate a parish but i definitely you know, do that you know i think that's actually a really good point come to think of it because i think that when you think of your average catholic what are they looking for your average anybody right looking for a church even in protestant world i think especially in protestant world right i think sometimes that's actually the first thing on your list like you want to go somewhere where there's going to be a community to, to encounter and there's something there for you to feel like you're a part of. So uh, maybe I dismiss that too quickly because I, I think it is, it is absolutely essential. 
Um, but maybe, maybe my, 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 my thought is that I think in general, and we can talk more about this, but I think, I think this is lacking in most parishes. Um, and so I think my mindset is, I know that that's what I want to build in any parish that I'm a part of. But um, as far as looking for that, I think I give the parishes a lot of grace just because I don't know that, that I see um, a lot of dynamic faithful communities and parishes. I think it's rare to find ultimately. Yeah, that's a great point. I think it's important to distinguish, I think, um, that this is an important distinguishing factor between Catholicism and the way that we worship and um, Protestants and the way that they worship. You know, is I think, you know, Protestants would say the community is way more central. And I'm not saying that the Catholicism, we don't value community because the Lord knows that we do and it's so important. Um, and we need it to thrive as Christians, as Catholic Christians. But I think in Protestantism, it it leans on on community a little more um, in the sense that when we come and worship in, in the Catholic setting, we, you know, our center is Christ, is the mass, you know, in a, in a real tangible sense, you know, and that's what keeps us there ideally. You know, it's um, our, our community is not grounded in the community. It's grounded in the Eucharist and um, in, in who we worship. Um, so, Right. And I mean, Jesus Christ, like in the Eucharist, he is our source of, of communion and our source of community too. And I think that it, it starts there, but I think that's a really, really good point about, I think one of the challenges with, I think evangelization in the parish for, for Catholics is just that, right. Um, we have a different environment when you walk in. Um, and it's because of some of these things we talked about, right. It's the, the beauty draws you in and draws your mind towards God. And ultimately it's a, it's a uh, spirit of prayer, right? Um, I, I remember talking recently to an Anglican friend of mine who um, is a convert actually to Anglicanism, but one of the things that drew him in and like his attracts him about experiencing Catholic churches is that like people come in and they pray, right? Um, their first instinct is, you know, to kneel down and, and, and pray to God. Um, and afterwards as well, like you were saying with, with people praying at Thanksgiving in a parish afterwards. So there's something really beautiful about that. And, and I think necessary, right? Cause that is the central, uh, this, this, that is central to our liturgy and our, our worship. Um, but I think it's important to, to also think about if that is what our, our worship is, then how are we creating avenues for relationships to be built? after mass um, and in the other activities of the parish. Yeah, that's a great point. I, I think that's so important to recognize too, um, is that it's, I think we, I don't want to use the word disadvantage because that frames the mass as a disadvantage, but because our gathering space, our normal gathering setting, the mass is not um, social, you know, it's, it's right. not inherently social, uh, like maybe some Protestant faiths have their, you know, their service is more social. Uh, because ours isn't, it um, creates, I think, a little bit more of a need outside of the Mass to be more intentional. Yeah. Um, well, and I think, too, we, sh we shouldn't miss the fact that this has actually, I think, always been understood by the church. Um, when you look at the very architecture of a church, you have the sanctuary, right? And then typically you have a vestibule or a narthex, whatever you call it, right? The point of that is to be a gathering place outside of the sanctuary, Right. Um, and typically, it's the place that you walk through um, on your way in and on your way out. So that's actually built into our, our church structure a lot of the time, is that gathering place um, for community uh, before and after Mass. I think um, some parishes, unfortunately, have a different structure, and you don't, there isn't this central place where everybody comes in and out. Um, but I think that's a really helpful thing that, that is actually built into the way we've structured our churches. Yeah, I think that's an important point, too, that we can ask is, you know, is that I don't want to use the word essential because I don't think it is. But is that an important element of a parish is to have a space like that where people go and they gather after mass? Um, I would I would say that it is. Yeah, I think it's important. And, you know, I think of I, I talk to I wouldn't say this is I think a lot of people do desire that. Um, it's strange. You know, I've talked to a lot of people who actually something they like about the Catholic mass, maybe the more introverted people, that's kind of like, Oh, I can just go and pray and like do my thing. I don't right. have to worry about 10 people like introducing themselves. Like 
and and there's there's something good about that right that they can go and encounter the mass and it's it's less um intimidating i guess because of that if you are a little more introverted but at the same time i think that's a little bit of shame on us in in our communities that we're not that we're allowing people to just come in and out and never get to know them right because the mass it is communal you know we are as the body of christ you know um offering the sacrifice to the father you know we i mean it's a communal um you know aspect it's not it's not in isolation Mm -hmm. you know um so yeah you're right We, we um we should you know work to build up that community um and not leave people in isolation who are who are coming to our parishes maybe that's an action point um for for us and for our listeners just to like hang out in the vestibule after mass for 10 minutes um Right. Maybe bring a friend with you to mass and hang out and talk to them. And I, I don't know, um, just do something of that kind. Yeah. Yeah. And I think um, a practical thing on that too, like um, be consistent. I think one of the things uh, I've been doing and, and some of my friends have been doing lately is is going to the same mass whenever we can each week. And one of the things we noticed is that we'll see people that will we'll know who the regulars are. Right. Um and so you kind of know when there's somebody new, but you also know when there's somebody who kind of comes and tends to sit by themselves and doesn't really talk to anybody afterwards. And so just this um, this past week, not this Sunday, but this past Sunday, um, I noticed somebody in that situation who had seen weeks on weeks on weeks, always was sitting by herself. Um, I ended up introducing myself and introducing her to, to my roommates who were with me. And um, yeah, she just said like, thanks for doing that. Like I had seen you guys as well and had, you know, had wanted to say hi, had wanted to introduce myself, but you know, there's also this whole COVID thing where we don't know if we're supposed to like go introduce ourselves to strangers. It's just changed the way we interact. But um, my point is, I think you can notice when you go regularly, you can notice who's new. You can notice who sits by themselves and it's not as cold kind of, I'm going to go introduce myself to this stranger and um, you know, I don't know if, if they want me to do this or not. Right. Um, you can kind of pick up on those things. I think when there's consistency in where you go. Yeah. Yeah. So gosh, we've, we've, uh, beat that point to, <laughs> to, to, I think, I think, um, yeah, just maybe in summary, you could tell me if I'm being a knucklehead. Um, but I think You're being a knucklehead. Yeah. Oh, dang it. I knew it. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I, uh, I think, you know, yes, it would be nice if we, you know, could, find community already in place that was attractive but at the same time we need to work to build it up we need to kind of plant ourselves and work to build up that community also bingo i think that was exactly the point i was trying to make from the start but i think you articulated it much better bada bing bada boom cool bada bop boom pal (laughs) oh my okay i think the last thing we have here um is ultimately the the frequent availability of the sacraments um, I think is important, right? Um, masses are being offered. Confession, I think, in particular, is being offered. Um, and I think this kind of goes hand in hand. I think, uh, I think of, gosh, I think of the story of of John Vianney, right? Um, he like was assigned to this new parish, and it wasn't very vibrant. And he just made himself radically available for confession, right? And sometimes nobody would come, um, but by just being available for confession like it really renewed the parish um and you know people started coming and i think it's kind of a both uh uh what am i trying to say it's it's like a a parish that has a lot of confession will be vibrant and a vibrant parish will have a lot of right we'll have a lot of of loop yeah 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 i will say um it's connected to the whole that's connected to the holy pastor kind of aspect too because people came to john vianney yes because of his availability but you know, also because of his incredible ability to read souls and to speak into people's lives and sure. to give them, you know, Christ-like direction, you know. So, um, yeah, that, that's definitely connected, I think, to the holy pastor um, aspect. I think people will um, maybe engage in the sacraments more if, if, if he's present. Um, yeah. Is that fair? Yeah, I think so. I think it's, it's such a beautiful thing. A holy pastor is um, truly transformative. And I think of um, a few pastors that I know that are that way, and they're always making the sacraments as available as possible. Like they know that it is their vocation as a priest 
to bring the sacraments. And so they're seeking every opportunity to do that. And that's just a beautiful thing to receive as a, as a parishioner, as um, uh, a sheep in the flock they shepherd, um, just to receive a shepherd who just desires to serve you. Um, there's nothing like asking a, a priest for um, confession or for, you know, anointing of the sick or whatever it might be. And them just like joyfully saying yes and making themselves available. Yeah. I'm with you. There's something too about, yeah, conf- specifically confession. I think we keep talking about that. And I think it's, it's a, a great indicator of the frequency of that confessions are um, offered. You know, um, when you see a parish where people get there 30 minutes early to get in line for confession and the line's an hour long, you know, um, don't get me wrong. I'm annoyed that I have to stand in line for an hour, but at the same time, it's, um, it's just a really beautiful thing that to see people online wanting to be right with God, right. you know, um, yeah. it's, yeah, it's just a really telltale sign of, yeah, this parish knows that they sin, they know they're sinners, um, right. and they desire the Lord's healing. Um, just a really good, great sign of a dynamic parish, I think. Right. Where, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Um, and then with that, I think this is kind of an extension of the sacraments, but adoration, of the blessed sacrament, I think is, um, and that'll ultimately, I think, transition into the Eucharist for obvious reasons. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, I think you said it best when you said a holy pair, a holy parish has the Eucharist at the center. Um, and when you said that was just, you typed that on the Google doc and I was reading it right off of it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, no, I, I, um, gosh, whoever put that, that was beautiful. That's that's what I was going for, yeah. <laughs> no, um, I, you know, the Holy Spirit, a parish that um, I've been frequenting in Huntsville, um, has, at least they had perpetual Eucharistic adoration before mm-hmm. COVID. They, they're able to do it daily now, thank God. Um, but I've become convinced, and, you know, in my time in adoration that, I mean, this this isn't essential for me. Um I, I, I have to attend a parish that offers frequent Eucharistic adoration. I just, um, I just think it's too much of a grace to be able to pray face to face with God. Um, yeah, it's been such a, a huge influence personally in my life and, um, so healing. So I, I think that that's an essential for me. Yeah. Yeah. I think absolutely. Um, yeah, I think it's it's just one of those one of those staples. Um, I think of adoration. I also think of like Eucharistic processions. Um, have you ever been to, have you ever been to Eucharistic procession? Um, let me think really quick. I, um, actually, yes. So, um, quick tangent. I I think maybe the only one I've ever been to or ever seen um, was in uh, Santiago de Compostela. It was the uh, oh wow uh, the end of our Camino. It was actually the Wait, feast you did day the of Camino. Cor- yeah, well, it's a conversation for another time. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, so um, we uh, were there on the feast of Corpus Christi, and they were doing a, a procession around Santiago de Compostela. Um, it's really it's beautiful, kind of a wild experience. The whole yeah. town was just kind of centering around this procession. So, Right, and I think it's something that's it's so bold in, in today's day and age to um, go out into the public square and process with the blessed sacrament in the Eucharist, um, you know, especially in Protestant America, right? Um, that's such a foreign thing. Um, but I think it just really expresses the faith of, of the parish ultimately, um, to see people, yeah, in procession, um, adoring the blessed sacrament, you know, on the street, essentially. I think it's just a, a really beautiful practice. And I think is, is something that um, I think it's being revitalized with kind of the revitalization of adoration in general um, in the church. I think it's it's something that's being brought back. And yeah, just such a beautiful thing. I can't believe you did got to do the Camino, though, because uh, I prepped that for focus mission trips. And apparently they didn't want me, so they sent me to England instead. But hey. um, we know who the favorites are. It's all right. No, actually, so um, that was part of um, me and my friend Benny's uh, kind of, um, that was our post-Focus uh, trip to oh, Europe. Okay. Okay. So we, I did it together with my friend uh, outside of Focus. All right. I'm no longer jealous. I am jealous. Just <laughs> okay. of, I don't feel slighted. Yeah. Um, 
Okay, great. So, I mean, the Eucharist goes with parish. We spent most of this time talking about the parish. Um, we talked about adoration as, I think, something that, that is important, is a good thing that, that a healthy parish should have. So, you know, what, do you, what else do you want to say about the Eucharist and how it ties into this? Um, yeah, do you mind if I read this quote from J.R.R. Tolkien here that I've written? Because um, I... Uh... Um, no, do you want to uh, I, I prefer only quotes from uh, okay. saints, and he's not canonized, so. Gotcha. Well, I actually lied. This is a direct quote from me, so um, oh, I'll go okay. ahead. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah, sure. Go ahead. Read, read Mr. Tolkien's quote. Yeah, okay. Um, I think this is just um, an extraordinary quote from uh, the Lord of the Rings guy, uh, J.R.R. Tolkien. I, I, yeah, we've talked, we spent um, some time with him, and uh C.S. Lewis and G.K. Chesterton a while back, but um, um, yeah, I just wanted to share this quote that he, he um, said or wrote, I'm not sure which, about the Eucharist, so here it is. Out of the darkness of my life, so much frustrated, I put before you the one great thing to love on earth, the Blessed Sacrament. There you will find romance, glory, honor, fidelity, and the true way of all your loves on earth. Um, and I, I just love that quote because um, just remembering who this is coming from, you know, this is, this is coming from Tolkien who created Lord of the Rings, just like, you know, all, all time great, you know, arguably the greatest all time uh, fantasy romance adventure story. Right. Um, and um, he claims the blessed sacrament to be um, above all of that. Um, yeah. Just um, the one great way to that truly, really um, in reality, um, which yeah. I know that's I, just understanding the ramifications of that is, um, I think a really huge consolation and, um, source of fulfillment, um, for, it could be for people nowadays, um, uh, because yeah, there's this searching, there's this, I watch the latest Avengers movie and wish I was, you know, the hero and, um, but I'm not because that's not real or I wish my right. life was more meaningful or you know, um, stand outish than it is now, you know, and, yeah. um, really all of those desires find their fulfillment in the Eucharist. Right. You know, it's, I love that quote, the romance, glory, honor, fidelity. Um, all of those are found in, in the blessed sacrament and Tolkien's a writer, right? You know, I think, I think writers are someone who have an incredible, um, just, I think sense of the divine sometimes I think ultimately like they have, um, they have a sense of, of mystery and they communicate that mystery. And ultimately the greatest mystery is the blessed sacrament that God becomes present to us in that way. I think of also um, one of the most impactful books I've read. It's a book called The Life You Save May Be Your Own. And it's a book that the title is taken from a Flannery O'Connor story, um, but it's a biography essentially of Flannery O'Connor, Walker Percy, Dorothy Day and Thomas Merton, who are four 20th century Catholic writers. And the reason I bring that book up is because this Tolkien quote reminds me of it because one of the things that struck me about the book is several of them were converts and they all seem to have um, profound encounters with the Blessed Sacrament, particularly in adoration. And I remember reading stories about just, yeah, like them coming in um, to adoration um, and it being this kind of foreign thing, but this beautiful thing that just captivated them, um, and keep coming back. And, and they were all writers who I think struggled with faith and doubt at times in their life. And yet they kept coming back to this beautiful mystery that they found in the blessed sacrament. And I think Tolkien is, is somebody like that, who's just captivated by that mystery and then devotes his life to, to communicate that mystery, the mystery of the faith to, um, to the world in incredibly beautiful way. And, and we have the, the Lord of the Rings series as a result. Yeah, I think too, I, I want to draw attention to the word romance in this quote specifically. Um, mm. I just think it's a really powerful word to use here because you know, how many of us in our society, you know, I, I know personally I do, and I'm sure you do too. You know, I, I mean, we have this desire for romance, like to, yeah. you know, this kind of um, romantic love that we that we desire you know and um um what J.R.R. Tolkien is saying here is that that finds its fulfillment in the Eucharist um right it's such a such an important message too for those those of 
you know, um, us or our listeners who, um, you know, are thinking about religious life, the priesthood, you know, um, specifically, um, that's a huge, you know, drawback, I think, is, oh, you know, I won't be able to find romance. Um, when in reality, like, real romance is found in the Eucharist um, with Jesus. Um, yeah. So, I, and I think it's just, like, once we understand that, um, I think it's a huge, a huge, huge fulfillment and consolation for our hearts. Yeah, I'm glad you said that, and I think that that brings that full circle. And it's totally something that we could, I want to do a whole nother podcast on sometimes. Just that that intimacy, I think that's found in in the Blessed Sacrament. But ultimately, that's it's what we're made for, right? We're made for intimate communion with Jesus Christ, and we find that marriage is just a sign of that. Uh, marriage is great and beautiful and intimate, right? Um, it's romantic, but it's just a sign of the eternal marriage of Christ in the church, the wedding feast of the Lamb. And where is that found? That consummation is found when we receive the Eucharist um, at the Mass. And ultimately, I think, you know, that brings it full circle. That was one of our, our, our first points. You know, this, there's this intimacy that we're lacking in 2020, 2021. Who knows how long this is going to go on? And the parish in the Eucharist, I think, provide its fulfillment. Um, they provide the answer to this, this longing that's written on the human heart. Um, yeah, and so I think I, I, think I, I want to leave, ultimately leave our listeners with that, understanding that um, the parish and the Eucharist are essential, because uh, w- that is where you will find romance, glory, honor, fidelity, in the true way of all your loves on earth, as Mr. Tolkien says. That's what I'm talking about. You're talking about that? Yeah, I, I thought that's what we were talking about. No, no that is right. what we were talking about. That's good. Good deal. <laughs> okay. I have no clue how long we've been going. Um, I, I didn't look at the clock when we started. I think it's been a little under an hour. So I think we hit it right on the head, my friend. Yeah. Well, we, we have 30 hours apparently for the Zoom call. Is what we, uh, <laughs> yeah, let's, let's keep what it, it rolling. Well, <laughs> <laughs> um, we can probably cap it off there. Um, I think this was successful. Hopefully we can get the audio out, um, here soon and you can find us on social media. We're still on Facebook, still on Instagram. Um, you can email us at colloquiumshow at gmail.com. Uh, subscribe on wherever you get your podcasts. Give us a review. Um, we appreciate reviews. Haven't gotten one in a little while, so keep them, keep them coming. If you like it, if you don't like it, well, you can shut up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, obviously we don't want bad reviews, but I'd encourage honesty. You know, if, if we're bad, probably send us an email, but um, don't do it as publicly. But, you know, hey, I don't even know. I think we're done, aren't we? Yeah, I think so. Let's wrap it up. All right. This has been Colloquium. Go have good conversations. Praise be Jesus Christ. Now and forever. Amen. <laughs>